How's it going, Sequoia? You're listening to KA19, Sequoia's official podcast. I'm your host, Jackie B, and for today's topic, we are going to discuss ways we can encourage composting and organics recycling at home, school, and within the community. Today, we have a special guest, Mr. Rod Cordova, Program Manager of the Organics Program with the City of Thousand Oaks. Uh, Mr. Cordova, thank you for coming today, and welcome to KA19. Well, thank you. No, I really appreciate you uh, having me. Um, I think this is a great topic. I'm glad you guys are, are covering this, uh, and uh, hopefully we can spread the word to the student body about organics. And definitely, so, definitely. Yeah. All right, so one of our goals at KA19 is to address topics that can provide helpful information and insight on a variety of topics, topics that are useful to our student body, staff, parents, and our community. In order to do this, we reach out to community members for topic ideas. It just so happens that we're going to give a huge shout out to Dr. Betsy Connolly, who put us in touch with Helen Cox, also with the city's public works department, who then put us in touch with you, Mr. Uh, Cordova. What a better way to head into summer with gardening and such than talking about composting and organics recycling. So let's start off with a recycling organic waste. I'm sure I... I'm not even sure if I know what this all entails, and I'm sure our listeners are wondering what we're even talking about. From the information you sent us, I didn't even know there is a California organic recycling law. Uh, Mr. Cordova, without getting too in-depth, can you tell us a little bit about the law, what recycling organic waste is, and why it's important? Sure. So let's start with organics. So what what is organics? So organics uh, consist of food waste, um, landscape waste, or green waste. Um, and basically anything that's derived from an organic matter that can decompose naturally into the, into the soil and provide nutrients to the soil. Got it. So um, the law, the California law, uh, AB 1826 or Assembly Bill 1826, uh, which went into effect in 2016, um, basically requires businesses, um, schools, government buildings, um, uh, and other organizations to collect their organic waste separately from the trash and recyclables, collect it and divert it from a landfill. And so when, when I say divert from a landfill, basically we want to keep it from going to the landfill. Right. Um, and the, the organic material can, uh, can basically, for the most part, it can be composted, which is kind of like nature's way of uh, recycling. It can be composted. It could also be used uh, for energy, creating energy through anaerobic digestion. Um, and we'll go into a little bit of that. Okay. Um, so those are kind of uh, the main uh, ways we can divert uh, uh, organic material. Got it, um, got it. So the law is implemented in phases, started in 2016, and it's implemented in phases depending on how much organic waste a business actually generates. So, um, and so there's uh, a couple important reasons why there is such a law and why we wanna, we wanna uh, divert organic waste. So probably first and foremost is to save landfill space. You know, our landfill space is, is uh, dwindling. Or landfills that are closing throughout the state. Definitely, so, I've heard all about that. And that's kind of the whole reason why we have recycling in the first place is is to save landfill space. Um, and and another one of those reasons is to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. So that was kind of the main goals of the of the law: reduce greenhouse gas emissions through diverting organic waste, um, and using that organic material for more beneficial use. Like I like talked about making compost, uh, creating energy. Um, another, another, I think, important reason why we have this is uh, for food recovery. So there's a lot of perfectly good edible food that's getting wasted and getting thrown out. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, again, one of the mo most important things is to recover that food and try to get it to the, 
uh, to the needy, to the food insecure, people who can actually eat it. So. Definitely. Um, so that's a little bit about you know, what, or, what organic waste actually is, uh, the law. And our role as the city is to see that we have programs put in place uh, that um, collects the organic material. So we've been uh, working with Waste Management, who collects um, all the trash and recyclables from schools, businesses throughout the city. And back in uh, around 2012, we started a pilot program with them, and they started collecting food waste from grocery stores, um, some of the area grocery stores, um, the Hyatt Westlake, uh, Las Robles Hospital, and a few other places. They started collecting the food waste, and they still do. And since then, uh, the program program's expanded to other restaurants and other food establishments collecting their food waste, and it will only continue to expand. Um, there's still a lot of restaurants in town that we're not collecting food waste from, and so we'll continue to work with waste management uh, to expand that program. Well, it sounds like a great plan. And just a quick question. So how does waste management get a hold of that food waste? Is there a special container, or is there a way that they separate it? Good question. So um, the, the food waste that we focus on mainly is what we call pre-consumer food waste. So a restaurant has a kitchen, and they're trimming their vegetables, uh, fruits. Um, they have other um, pre-consumer waste, meaning before the uh, customers actually get the food. So they have a lot of that uh, pre-consumer kitchen waste, and they put it into a separate container in their kitchen just for food waste. Um, so this is stuff that they haven't used for anything they were planning to use, but haven't used it, you know, for whatever reason. Right. They're, you know, they're trimming their uh, carrots and tomatoes. And so that, that kind of scrap waste, Got uh, it. maybe some bread that's spoiled or things like that. They'll put it into a separate container. And then the staff, uh, the restaurant staff will then empty that into a cart, uh, kind of like a cart that you have at home that you put out each week for waste management to pick up. Um, there's a cart. They'll empty the food waste into that cart, unbagged. And then that cart is set out each week, um, and waste management comes and picks it up with their trucks, that, just like the truck that you see that comes around your house and picks up your, your trash and your yard waste and recycling, they come and pick up the food waste. And um, then they take that food waste, goes to a composting facility in Oxnard. There's a company called Agrimin that makes soil products, and uh, they have a large composting facility in Oxnard. So all the food waste from Thousand Oaks, from Oxnard, from Ventura, Camarillo, all the food waste goes there. And it's it's made in it's made compost. So me being uh, at my awesome elementary school, Earth's Magnet School, I actually went on a field trip to the Agrimin, and Excellent. I just saw how awesome it was and how they do it, and it sounds like really good. But is that our one facility that we deliver to, or is there other ones near the area? That that is actually the only facility in our region that uh, composting facility that collects the food waste and accepts the food waste. Um, and it's not just food waste, it's actually all the organic waste, like I mentioned, uh, yard waste, landscape waste. So uh, when waste management picks up your yard can each week with the gr uh, grass uh, clippings and shrub clippings, all of that green waste and the food waste all goes to this composting facility and it gets, uh, gets they put it in rows and they turn it and there's a process that they have for making the compost. Um, so it all goes there. That's really the only facility that we have in our region. There are other composting facilities up and down the state. Um, and some food waste uh, goes to uh, creating energy through anaerobic digestion. So not all of it is composted. Um, and, uh, and then, of course, some food is recovered and, and distributed to the needy. So, um, but as far as uh, like um, 
the grocery stores and restaurants here in town, most of that food waste is going to the composting facility. Nice. So um, it, in a sense, since that the, the food waste comes in and then it gets put out to compost and put back out, could the agrimen ever get full and in, we need to build a new facility or are we pretty much set? Another great question. So um, yes, I mean, all of the cities in our county that implement this food waste program, um, the, the, the the programs aren't fully implemented, meaning there's still a lot of restaurants that um, are not collecting the food waste yet. And so if we got to the point where every restaurant in town in every city is collecting their food waste separately, um, that facility in, in Oxnard would, would reach capacity. And so um, they actually do have another facility in uh, Santa Paula. Um, it's awaiting to be permitted through the county as an official composting facility. But until that happens, the Oxnard facility is the only one we have. So, which is uh, kind of, um, I'll bring up this point, is it's important that we find other ways to divert this food waste. Um, whether it's home composting, uh, you know, you or anyone else can do composting at home, um, or whether it's through food recovery, or whether it's just through general waste reduction. So if we just, if we just be mindful of, of the food that we're buying and the food that we're, we're wasting, um, I think that's another important uh, component of, of, of food diversion is actually reducing the waste in general at the source. Definitely. So whether it's at home, whether it's at the cafeteria at school, uh, we want to try to reduce that food waste. Yeah. So uh, speaking of cafeterias at school, uh, getting back on script a little bit here. Mm -hmm. um, so now the CVUSD waste audits you shared with us uh, date back to 2012, and they were pretty grim, uh, learning that roughly 63% of the materials found in the trash at some schools was all food waste is so disheartening. Uh, do you have any suggestions on how schools can support organic recycling or provide us with programs to help educate students and staff? Yeah, so um, the waste audits that we did that you mentioned uh, were pretty eye-opening for us. So our, our initial intent was to um, go in and see how much um, recyclable waste was in the trash. And what we discovered was that there was a lot of food waste, perfectly good, um, uneaten, perfectly good edible food that, is getting, that was getting thrown away. Yeah, definitely. I see that happen every day. Every day. And it was really eye-opening. So our waste audits, we took um, basically 24 hours worth of waste and we literally dug through the trash and we separated everything. Bottles, paper, food waste, everything we put into categories. And the food that we were, that we were separating, we would we kind of put them in this display. I can show you some photos. And we put them in this display and you would be amazed. And this was just 24 hours worth. Sandwiches, apples, bags of chips, yogurts all sorts of food that students were throwing away. And so we put in a display, we're taking photos, we're posting these photos on our social media, and it really started a conversation with um, parents, with uh, teachers, administrators, and uh, which I'm glad it did. It really started this conversation and kind of opened everyone's eyes to the food waste problem. So what can a, what can a school do? So uh, you know, I'd mentioned uh, trying to reduce waste at the source. So if a school, you know, if the, if the administrators and the cafeteria maybe did a survey of what students actually like to eat when they're buying food at the cafeteria. Definitely, Because yeah. what we were finding was we would find packages of, like, um, baked beans or certain types of food that were getting thrown away whole. Not Just even untouched. Touched. untouched. And so wow. we would ask students, we're like, 
you know, what is it about this food? And they would tell us, oh, we don't like that food. They serve it to us once a week, and we don't like it. We never eat it. We always throw it away. So maybe if the cafeterias and administrators did a survey of the students to find out what it is that they like to eat and try to focus on that, so to, to try to reduce the waste. Um, the other thing is to, is to start the conversation with parents and students at home. If parents are making their lunches, is ask their, their students, their children, what do you like to eat? You know, what is it can, that we can prepare for you so that you're not throwing it away? One of the waste audits we did, this is kind of interesting, one of the waste audits that we did, um, I won't name the school, but we did the waste audit at lunchtime in the lunch area so the students can see what we were doing. And here we are separating the, the trash and recyclables and, and the food and separated uh, this sandwich. There was a whole sandwich in the baggie, and there was a little note. Mom had posted a little post-it note on there that said, have a good day, love you, and there was this note. We set it aside, and there was a, a young lady who was watching us, and she said, oh, there's my sandwich. And I, I, you know, we asked her, why didn't you eat your sandwich? And she said, you know, I never eat my sandwich. I throw my lunch out every day. And she goes, and my brother does too, and her brother was standing right next to her. So they were throwing their lunch away every day and their parents had no idea. So I think it's important that parents have that conversation and try to understand Definitely. what their students are doing and what they're eating or not eating. Wow. So um, another thing that we found, and some of, the, some of the schools implemented this, was that students were, because recess is, comes after the actual lunch eating period, they were in such a hurry because they wanted to go out and, and play, play recess, they would just throw their lunch out. They'd eat part of it and then throw it out so they can rush to play. So in talking with some of the schools, we talked about maybe moving the recess portion first, yeah. having recess first and then eating. And some of the schools have implemented that as a way to kind of reduce the, reduce the food waste. Yeah, I'm sure that would help. Yeah. Um, and then I think one of probably the easiest thing is just informing and educating students about food waste. There's Definitely. a lot of resources yeah. out there. There's PSAs that could be run. Just having the conversation about food waste so students understand all the energy and resources that it takes to make our food. Um, there's this great uh, campaign, public service announcement from the SaveTheFood.com uh, organization. And they created this video that shows the life cycle of a strawberry and all the energy and resources it takes to just grow a strawberry. And, you know, that, could, that translates to other food, of course. But so it shows a strawberry from, its, from it planting, be, planting a, a strawberry seed, the growth, the harvesting, the transport to a grocery store, um, sitting in a grocery store, a family purchases it, purchases the strawberries, takes it home, puts it in the refrigerator, it sits in the refrigerator for a week or two, it spoils, and then they just throw it out. And I think uh, that, that video is very impactful. For anyone who would see it, uh, they would understand, wow, you know, there is a lot that goes into growing food and we, we kind of take it for granted when we just go to a grocery store and buy it. Definitely. And we throw it out. Yeah. So. Um, things like that, if students, if adults could see that, they would think twice about what they're buying and what they're throwing away and wasting. I think that's very important. Yeah. Um, going back to uh, school programs, uh, currently there's only one school in, in Thousand Oaks that is participating in the food waste collection program, and that's Lorena. It's a private school. But eventually, the, because we have the state mandate, eventually – uh, waste management will reach out to all the schools in the district and all the schools will start a program. Um, That's good to hear. Yeah. So, so eventually the schools will all have a, a food waste collection program on campus. But I think there's you know, other things that they can do to try to, again, reduce the amount of waste that is going to go into those carts. So some schools, there are several schools in the district that started composting programs on campus. And so um, 
the city's actually donated some composting bins to them. They've purchased composting bins. And so it's not necessarily to really manage all the food waste that's generated on the campus. Part of it is really an educational tool uh, in the science classes and stuff to show students what, what composting is, showing the decomposition of organic matter and, and so forth. So it's a, an educational tool, but it is a way to, to also manage a small amount of their of their food waste. Yeah. So um, it'd be great to see a lot of other schools doing, you know, maybe starting a small composting program on site. Um, and then, of course, uh, food recovery, which um, I think is important. So uh, you mentioned um, before uh, share tables. Um, share tables is a way for students, if students don't want their milk or they don't want their apple, they can place it on what's called a share table. And then any other student who might want that can take it and eat it. Again, reducing waste. Um, Several years back, when we talked about share tables with the school district, um, they re really weren't big on it. They didn't really condone um, that type of activity. And really, it was a liability issue. Um, schools yeah, were afraid allergies, that, right, whatever. allergies, a student might get sick because the milk was spoiled, or you know, whatever, they, you know, whatever it may be, they were, they were afraid of that risk. And so that's why the district, district didn't really condone it. Although some schools were doing it, um, kind of, you know, under the table, yeah. no pun intended. They were doing these share tables, <laughs> but uh, the district didn't really they didn't really condone it. Um, and so now, uh, and there really isn't a a district policy on share tables, on food recovery, or anything like that. I would really like to see that. I'd like to see the the district, the district level, really take a play a bigger role in trying to reduce the food waste as well. Maybe implementing a policy that addresses share tables and food recovery, uh, food donation, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, uh, but until then, um, I think at this point, the district is, you know, they, they allow it if a school wants to do it. It's really up to an administrator if they want to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of these programs really come from the administrator, from the top down. So whether it's recycling, food waste, collection, whatever it may be, it really comes from the top down. So having that support from your administrator is, is big. Well, I have to say it is so good to hear that all of these programs are, you know, really trying to take place in schools and around the community because not only will it, you know, save our earth, but it's going to save a lot of time and money of everything. So right. It's yeah. really good to hear. Absolutely. So uh, with summer right around the corner and families starting up their gardens, let's switch gears and talk a little bit about home composting. Uh, when I hear composting, I automatically think of horse manure in the garden. Uh, is composting really that beneficial to gardens and potted plants? Sure, and that's, that's funny you say that. Uh, you know, certainly there, are, there is some uh, compost products that may contain uh, biosolids or, you know, animal or human waste. Um, but mostly you're, you're talking about food waste and landscape waste that, that makes up compost. Got it. So, um, and yeah, if you think about it, so organic waste, when it decomposes, um, you know, it turns into this, this nutrient-rich organic material um, that gardens, uh, flowers, flower beds, they love this material, right? It nurtures the material. So um, the, the city offers we actually have a compost bin offer to residents it's a discounted compost bin that we we sell it's for uh it's thirty dollars wow that's really cheap it's really cheap because uh, if you if you ever go online and look for a compost bin you're gonna you're gonna look at 60 70 may, maybe even a couple hundred dollars for a wow. compost bin so this one's discounted 
It's $30. It gets delivered to your door. You just simply fill out a, an online form Perfect. with your payment, mail it to the city, and we arrange everything else. It comes to your door. The compost bin comes with a how-to guide, so how, how you do it. Um, and it uh, doesn't take up a lot of space. So you can put it in your backyard or even on a patio and, and start your own home, uh, home composting program. That's perfect. Yeah. So how can our listeners get a hold of this composting bin? Uh, we, do, we have a, a form online. They can go to our city website, www.toaks.org, toaks.org, and they can go to the sustainability division of our website and just punch in composting in the search bar. Perfect. Mm -hmm. So um, now that they uh, obtained this composting bin, what will it benefit to the community and their garden? So instead of them throwing their food wastes, their food scraps, vegetable scraps in their, in their trash bin and having it picked up each week, they can put that food waste in their compost bin along with their uh, landscape waste. So grass clippings, shrub clippings, um, you put that all in your compost bin and you kind of mix it up, turn it up every now and then, and eventually it will, um, the process itself, the uh, composting process itself, you, you include the kind of carbon-rich material like dry leaves and dry gr grass clippings, and then you have uh, the like food waste, it has more moisture in it, and you want to have kind of this, there, there's this kind of correct uh, formula or composition between the carbon-rich, dry, and kind of the wet material. Like a good balance, a you ratio. You need this good balance. And it. it might take a little time. It might take 30 days, 60 days, yeah, 90 yeah, yeah. days. It's so not it takes instant. A little, it's not instant. It takes a little bit of experimentation. And But once you get it right, you'll know when, when your compost is, is actually working. When you open that lid, you're going to feel the heat because the compost process creates heat. And it can get anywhere between 120 to 170 degrees. And when it gets into, the, into, that, into that degree range, it's working. And you'll notice your compost pile will kind of compress. You'll feel the heat. There'll be moisture in there. And it'll have kind of this, um, there's this kind of earthy smell to it. Um, and as long as you're turning this pile maybe once a week and you're adding material to it, make sure that it's not too dry, make sure it's not too wet, it'll start cooking. We like to call it cooking. And uh, it'll start to create compost. And at the bottom of your pile, you'll get this really good nutrient-rich earthy smelling compost that you can then add to your flower beds, to your garden. Um, you can combine it with mulch like wood chips. Um, it helps, um, helps retain uh, moisture in the soil um, and your, your flower beds will love it. So that's how it'll help the plants and that'll keep moisture in the soil, allowing it to grow? Keeps the moisture and it feeds it. So this compost is filled with nutrients um, from all the food and all the organic material that you've added to it. It's, it's, it's an organic supplement. That's exactly what it is. So um, Agriman that, that has the composting facility, they sell uh, soil amendments or uh, soil supplements. So it's really just food for the soil. So, and finally, let's talk about regular recycling. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that sometimes uh, I get confused with uh, what can and can't go in the recycling. You know, I know the basics, plastic, paper, and uh, metal, but um, is there an easier way to remember a list or some other kind of information to help students and families remember what to recycle and what not? Sure, yeah, and, and you know, we get this, these questions all the time from the public, and it is sometimes confusing what's recyclable, what's not. Um, and so the city actually, pr we provide a lot of resources for, for our residents, for people. 
um, on our website. Uh, we disseminate a lot of information. I actually brought uh, some posters for you guys here today uh, that we've distributed to schools. Awesome. Kind of simple things that um, you can put on a recycling bin so people can quickly see and understand, okay, what goes in here and what doesn't. Um, but uh, kind of the general rule of thumb is plastics, any plastic, um, and, and you've, you've probably recognized or seen the, uh, what we call the recycling Mobius or the recycling triangle, the arrows on the bottom of a plastic container or a beverage container. And there's usually a number that's in the middle of that triangle. Um, it's usually numbered one through seven. So any plastic that has a number one through seven, you can put in your recycling container, whether it's at home, it's at school, or when you're out in the public, if you see a recycling container, you can put it in there. Um, any type of paper, newspaper, um, uh, junk mail, um, your homework, <laughs> a any type of paper, uh, doesn't matter what color it is, you can put that in your recycling bin. And does ink make a difference on the paper? It doesn't. It doesn't. No, as long as, uh, as, long as it's paper, uh, if it as long as it doesn't have any other type of, and actually, even if it has like, uh, sometimes you might have something with tape on it or uh -huh. anything like that. When it goes to a paper recycling facility, all those uh, other materials that are, might be on it get filtered out. Got it. So, so basically, any type of paper, plastics number one through seven, um, any type of metal, whether it's a, a aluminum beverage container, uh, maybe you have some type of scrap piece of uh, steel or anything at home. Um, any type of metal can go in the recycling container. Um, and then there's kind of, there are kind of other types of materials that can go in there as well. But those are kind of the big ones that you most commonly see. Um, and we, um, I mentioned that we have these resources on our, on our city website. And we actually just recently launched a, uh, a tool on our website, an online tool that um, will make it even easier. So this tool, and there's a mobile application for it as well. So uh, you can you can uh, upload the, uh, the app to your to your uh, smart device or or phone, um, and it's basically just this tool where you can type in whatever type of material you have. You type it into this tool, and it tells you what to do with it. So whether it's a, a beverage container, um, a diaper. Um, Anything, you just type it in there and it tells you, put it in the recycling bin, put it in the trash, nice. put it in your green waste bin, it's compostable, whatever it is. Um, so I, I would definitely encourage students and parents and everyone to check out this tool on our website again, toaks.org, um, and go to the sustainability page and you'll see this tool right there. And you can Perfect. Type it in. Mm -hmm. So I have two uh, either common misconceptions or true facts about recycling that me and my family use, and I'm sure other people do too. Mm -hmm. So uh, one thing that my mom always tells me, if, if aluminum foil has grease on it or other you know stuff on it, you can't put it in the recycling. Is that true? That, that's actually, yeah. And that's great that she's, she's uh, you know, telling you that. Um, yeah, so if you have um, something that is uh, a material that is recyclable, but it's contaminated with, with uh, some other type of material. So whether it's a piece of aluminum foil that has maybe food all over it. Um, another one that we get all the time is a pizza box. Oh, so a pizza right. box is, car is cardboard. Cardboard's recyclable. Um, if the pizza box is relatively clean and dry, you put that in your recycling bin. If the pizza box is soiled with cheese and pizza sauce and grease, um, that wouldn't be recyclable, and you'd have to put that, unfortunately, in your trash. So um, part of it, is, you know, there's a judgment call. You'd have to really look at it and see, okay, wow, there's a lot of grease and cheese and stuff on it. I'm going to have to put it in the trash. But if there's, you know, little, you know, little drops of oil and it's relatively clean, you can put it in your recycling bin. So that would go, with, that would go for anything. So even, even paper. If you have a piece of paper that has, that's soiled with, you know, whether it's wet 
or it has you know uh, cheese on it or any type of other material that might have to go in the trash but if it's relatively clean and dry you can put it in the recycling bin so uh one last question is uh in thousand oaks are we allowed to put batteries in the recycling great question so batteries are considered household hazardous waste and you certainly do not want to put those in your trash container or your recycling container um, they require special handling so the city um, actually has several locations in town where we have battery recycling receptacles where you can take your batteries and place them in there so the uh, thousand oaks library the newbury park library the teen center senior center um, a couple of the different community uh, centers at the parks have these battery recycling receptacles and they're clearly marked so you can bring your batteries there place them in there and then they're uh, the city will take it from there um, you can also take the batteries to our uh, household hazardous waste facility the city owns a um, uh, facility that collects all hazardous waste from from your home so uh, paint automotive automotive fluids um, batteries of course um, solvents um, cleaners uh, all sorts of uh, of products that you might have at home that are hazardous you can bring to our facility it's open two days a week uh, Fridays and Saturdays uh, you can drop it off by appointment and the city handles it from there so um, and there I know there are some I think there's some schools that actually have that collect batteries and I have a small container at the school where they're collecting batteries and, and I'm, I'm assuming that somebody from there then will take it to our either our facility or they're taking it to a battery recycling receptacle that we have um, but yeah you definitely don't want to put the batteries in the trash all right, good to know. All right, well, with that, uh, Mr. Cordova, we really appreciate you coming in today to discuss this uh, important topic, and I really do hope that we are able to spread awareness with this podcast um, to schools, communities, households, wherever it may be. So once again, thanks for coming in to uh, KA19, uh, and we hope to see you again soon. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you having me, and I uh, really appreciate what you guys are doing, spreading awareness, and I'd be happy to come and speak to you, to you and to the students at any point and talk about about uh, you know these topics and other sustainability issues. Definitely. Well, thank you again. And uh, with that week, thank you everyone who tuned into the podcast today. Uh, with that, we will see you next week. This is K19 signing off.